Welcome back to the Harvard Center for International Development's weekly speaker series podcast. This is Valeria Mendiola. I am an MPAID student at Harvard Kennedy School. My name is Ina Ganguly. I'm an associate professor of economics at the University of Massachusetts Amherst and associate director of the UMass Computational Social Science Institute. This week, we are discussing labor market aspirations of women in Saudi Arabia. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm Okay, so Ina, you started your talk giving some interesting and striking figures about female labor force participation rate in Saudi Arabia. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about female labor force participation rate right now, how this labor force participation rate has changed over time, and how it is different between younger and older women. Yeah, so the labor force participation rate among women is quite low. So if you look across countries, um, Saudi Arabia is one of the lowest female labor force participation rates. Currently in 2018 was 23%, mm. and it's changed quite dramatically. So in 1990, it was 14%. By 2010, it was 18%, and then again in you know 2018 it was 23%. But that actually it may not sound like a lot, but it's actually quite a big change. So it's um, about a you know 27% increase in less than a decade. But what's further interesting is that if you look at labor force participation rates for women at different ages, what you'll see is there's a lot of change going on. So among the older generations, so if you look at the labor force participation rate of women who are 45 to 54, it's much lower. So that's where it's actually kind of, you know, like less than, than 20%. But then in the younger generation, so this is women who are 25 to 34, it's, it's quite a bit higher. So this suggests that there's, you know, a lot of change going on in this environment. And that's kind of one of the things that we wanted to study in this paper is when you have a rapidly changing, um, you know, social and economic environment, what are the factors that are affecting women's uh, expectations of working? Mm -hmm. Okay, and so b before we delve a little bit more into the paper, I would like to know first if these, you know, career expectations also differ between sectors, between economic sectors, you know, how many women engineers are there in Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. and they actually work on that field, or how many were of those work on education or, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's a great question because I think it's one thing that's that's very important here is that you know what sector women work in. It's primarily education right now um, that's changing, but this is a big discussion. Is that you know in some fields there um, just aren't jobs for women, and there's a bunch of reasons for that. Primarily in, in the private sector, one of the the issues is that having a, a mixed gender workspace is something that again is not um, always in line with cultural norms, and mm -hmm. so, you know, kind of again, there, there's a lot of changes in terms of thinking about which, you know, sectors, again, is kind of culturally appropriate for women to work in. One thing that was interesting for me to, to learn as I've come to spend more time working on Saudi Arabia is it's a country where there's actually a lot of women in STEM fields, so in, in the sciences, And I guess why that is, there's some interesting reasons for it, but one of it is also to be able to teach younger, to teach girls, right, mm -hmm. that you need women who are trained in these fields. But then, again, if you look at opportunities for women to work in the private sector in this field, there aren't very many. So mm -hmm. I think, so, you know, so this is, a, it's an interesting question then of how these things are going to change going mm -hmm. forward. I think that's an interesting point because in your in your talk you were also someone was mentioning you know how it is very different to work in Saudi Arabia in the public sector versus the private sector right so yeah. like the main point of, of all of this research would be probably to actually get these girls and, and young women to actually move to the private sector instead of the public sector mm -hmm. which are the determinants uh, between these choices is it only like economic determinants or also social norms or 
Yeah, no, I think social norms is a big part of this because, again, you know, in the private sector, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about what, what kinds of jobs or firms should women be working in. And so there's a big push for women to start working in retail, particularly in selling items that women would buy. Because, again, you know, the, the issue is for, you know, thinking about the cultural norms, the idea that a woman would be interacting with a man at the workplace is not something, again, that's in line with some of the cultural norms. So, uh, yeah, so I think this is where you know, there's a lot of discussion of thinking, again, about what's happening in firms that would make it easier for both firms to invest in these things that would allow for more women to mm-hmm. work there, but also what would make women and their families more comfortable to work in these settings. So, yeah, so I think there would be a lot more focus on that. In our study, again, we, yeah, we didn't focus a whole lot on that choice, although we do see, again, some interesting results on sector that women expect to work in. And so, yeah, like, I would love to know more about this paper of yours that you're about to publish. So why don't you tell us very quickly about, you know, your methodology, what were you looking for in in this research, and the main results as well? Okay, yeah, so we were hoping in this paper to look at two specific factors that might affect female labor force participation. And so one was the role of information. Mm -hmm. And so here the question was, do women have information about the labor market and labor market opportunities when they're making these choices or, you know, their expectations of working? And the second part of that is not only do they have what we call objective labor market information, but also do they have information about their peers' preferences? And so here we're thinking about as social information. So kind of what are the norms uh, in terms of you know, expectations of working for their peers. So that's one part of it. And then our hypothesis was that maybe information will matter. So it might be that having access to more information could lead women to expect to work more or you know, be more likely to work. But then our hypothesis was that maybe given that this is um, a setting that has these cultural norms, there's some stigmas associated with working outside of the home, that if we were to then make those norms more salient to the women, it might actually mute the effects of the information. So this is trying to get at this idea. So there's you know, quite a bit of research now in thinking about the effects of you know, providing information. Mm-hmm. That you can have you know, like biased beliefs about the labor market. So if you give people information, that should help them make you know, kind of you know, more informed decisions. Here, our thought was that again, maybe the norms are going to mute these effects. So. What we did is we did a survey at a large university in Saudi Arabia, King Saud University, which is the largest public university. And we did an experiment that was embedded in a survey. And so we had about 1,000 students uh, at the female campuses, so this was just with women, um, who were currently enrolled in a bachelor's program. And what we did is we surveyed them about their aspirations. So we asked them, you know, what do you think is the likelihood that you will be working when you're 25? That was one of the questions we asked. We also asked them about their beliefs about the population. So this is about their peers. So we asked, what share of KSU graduates work when they're 25? So we asked a range of questions about the labor market, also about their expectations about marriage and fertility. And then the key part of our design is that we embedded intervention or you know, an, an experiment in this survey. So we randomly gave one subset of students what we call the information treatment. And so this is a bundle of social information where we told them, you know, did you know that 80% of KSU female students want to work when they're um, 25? And then we also gave them some other information. We gave them average salaries, and so this was about 10,000 reals per month. When we gave them information about an unemployment 
assistance program called Hopkins. So that was what we called our information treatment with this mm -hmm. bundle. The second treatment, so now another subset, a random subset, they got the same information, but then we tried to make their parents and their family more salient to them. And here the idea is that we wanted them to think about the prevailing cultural norms, and so kind of this more traditional norms that, um, you know, where there's a stigma about women working outside of the home. So we gave them in the information and this parents prime. And then our third group was the control group. So they just took the survey, you know, as usual. Without the information. Without the information. And so, exactly. So then what we did is, you, you know, the way the survey worked, we asked about the population beliefs. We gave the information or the information plus parents treatment. And then we followed up with asking them about their self-beliefs. So, you know, they were asked, what's the likelihood that you will be working at age 25? And a bunch of other questions. So that was the design. Uh, what we find, so it was a bit surprising. So perhaps not surprising, we find that the information matters. So women reported higher likelihoods of expecting to work full-time if they got the information. The part that was a bit surprising is that instead of muting the effects of this information, the group that where we made their parents salient or top of mind, those women actually reported slightly higher or, you know, just as large likelihoods of working, um, you know, full-time at 25. So that was a bit, it was, you know, surprising. It was counter to what we expected. And so we dug into this a little bit more, and there were a few interesting things that came out of it. We also did a follow-up survey to understand this more. But one thing that we found is that even though in the group where parents were made more salient, even though they reported just as high or higher likelihood of wanting to work, they were also more likely to report that they want, were going to work in the education sector. And so this is quite interesting because we don't see that effect in the information only, mm -hmm. but we see it in the, the group where the parents were made more salient. So that suggests that even though they you know, report a higher likelihood of wanting to work, it's in this sector that's kind of more in line with cultural norms, mm -hmm. right? So that suggests, so in some sense, it made us feel like, okay, so that prime, it did do what we wanted it to do, right? It made those norms more salient, but it, it also showed us that even though we see these larger effects in that, you know, that group with the parents' prime, it's not that they're necessarily expecting to work in the private sector, because actually, interestingly, we found even a lower likelihood of working in services. So we asked about different sectors, mm -hmm. and it was higher in, ex in education, lower in services, which suggests, again, these areas like private sector, yeah. where you're going to, again, be in contact more with um, men, men yeah. that there you see a lower effect. So, yeah, so it's kind of, you know, it's a more nuanced story. Um, I just wanted to add, then, that one of the things that we looked at is, you know, who are the women who are being affected by this treatment? And it does look like it's, the women who have these lower population beliefs, so the ones who, um, in some sense, like were the furthest off from kind of knowing what their peers were expecting, they were the ones who had the greatest increases in reporting, you know, wanting to work themselves full time. Mm -hmm. So it seems like it mattered more for those women than mm -hmm. others. That's very interesting. And so now that you have these results, what do you think would be some policy implications for the governments in Saudi Arabia? It's a great question. So we've, um, yeah, we've thought a lot about this, and there's some other things that I think could be done. You know, one thing that we were thinking of is that it seems like a lot of the universities don't have kind of career 
counseling mm-hmm. center or mm-hmm. career center. And so we thought, you know, setting like that or in some other form, but some mechanism where people can get information. So both objective labor market information, but also then maybe some kind of setting where they can interact with their peers, especially around careers and, and working. Because again, it seemed like what made the, played the biggest role, again, is getting access to this social information, so what their peers think. And so it suggests that they don't maybe necessarily talk to their peers a lot about whether they want to work, what kind of work they want to do. And we were thinking, you know, a career center could be one setting for this. Um, you could imagine some other maybe um, peer, you know, career groups or something. And then the other piece, I think, with the parents' treatment, which was quite interesting, as I didn't mention this, that, you know, the effects also seem to be driven by uh, students who wanted to share their, their responses with their parents. Mm-hmm. And so there, it seems like, you know, there is this desire for women to talk to their parents when they're about their plans, about their future plans. And we did do a follow-up survey where this really came out, that students wanted to, um, yeah, discuss their plans with their parents. So again, thinking about settings, it could be through the university, maybe through other groups, but settings where parents and their children can talk about careers and work, I think, could be an interesting policy. And do you think other, like, perhaps more conventional policies, such as, I don't know, implementing quotas, do you think that would help in any way? Yeah, so that's, um, it's you know, it's hard from our own paper to yeah. draw conclusions about that, but um, there's very interesting work right now uh, coming out of Saudi Arabia trying to look at, there was a, a quota system from the Nitikat program of, of trying to get kind of more Saudis into the private sector firms. And so there's a paper by Conrad Miller, Jennifer Peck, and Mehmet Seflek, who's an MPAD grad, um, (laughs) where they look at the effect of this program on you know women's employment in, in the private sector and they show that you know this program actually led to more women working in firms mm. and it was those firms that then actually hired more women even so it suggests again it's that once you get the women working in these firms it can change the norms around women working there and then that might actually lead to more employment of women so I think that's a really interesting um, area of research. I, I think with our paper, we can't necessarily say whether that works or this works, mm-hmm. but I think the nice thing is that I think we need more research on these different perspectives. Of like, you know, the, here we're looking at the women and their yeah. aspirations, and there they're looking more at the firms and what the firms are doing and a policy there. And so I think, you know, getting a sense of the whole picture is really yeah. important. Yeah, it definitely makes it a case for more research. Well, so thank you so much for joining us today. You can find more information about Ina's work by following her on Twitter at Ina Ganguly. And she will have a working paper available on NPR soon, so please find it there. To learn more about CIT's research, events, and upcoming speaker series lectures, visit us at cit.harvard.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next week.